Good morning, everyone. There is not a place I would rather be on this side of eternity than right here with you. Jack tried to challenge us this morning. He, he started talking about the weather in Cozumel and all that. But you know what? That's hogwash because y'all aren't in Cozumel. And being with y'all is what makes this special. So it's so good to be together. I, I want to start this morning's lesson by highlighting something that goes on behind the background that a lot of you may not know about that. And it's our adult education committee. Uh, we've got a, a team of people um, led by Sam Dominguez, who is our uh, deacon over adult education, um, consistent of Thomas Talley and Chad Dozier and Jim Drachenberg and Cameron Wallace. Um, and Steve Willis and J.D. also sit on that committee and myself. And, and we are in the process already of working on adult education curriculum for 2024. Um, and so I, I just bring that out to say that we believe here at Oldham Lane that being biblically educated is really important. Um, in fact, I think that's one of, the, one of the most important things that we do when we come together is we sit down and we study God's Word and together we wrestle with what it means for our lives. And if you're not in the habit of attending Bible class, I want to encourage you to work that into your weekly routine. Um, we put a lot of effort into being sure that we are, we are um, providing Bible classes that are, that are moving us in a direction that would glorify God and build His kingdom, and we would love for you to be a part of that. So I'm grateful for all of those men who work all of the tireless hours behind the scenes making that happen. Thank you to the Adult Education Committee. Have you ever had a close call, maybe when you're driving, um, this morning when I asked that question, I saw a lot of the parents with uh, young drivers in their house kind of look over at their kids and nod, and there were some little giggles that were happening. Um, but you know what I'm talking about, one of those situations where maybe you, maybe you pull up to a red light and you're about to pass through and a car whips in front of you, and you think, man, had something happened just a half second different than, than what was going on, this could have ended very poorly or very differently. I think we all know what that feeling is like, the feeling where your, your, your heart starts pounding afterwards and your mind starts racing with all of the what-ifs. And you look back over and you think, man, how many of those small, little, insignificant decisions did I make that morning that could have totally changed the outcome? I mean, if I just hadn't lost my keys and hadn't had to search for them a little more, I could have been in a different spot in that intersection. Or if that um, terrible driver in front of me hadn't been texting at the light, you know, the one that you honked at and caused you to delay a little bit, you would have been in a different spot when that person ran the stop sign or the red light in front of you. You know, we, we, we intuitively know that small things can make a, a huge difference, but we don't often live thinking about them or prioritizing them. In fact, our minds are usually drawn to extraordinary moments when the big things happen so we look at the the super bowl or the the closing closing of a big sale or the big purchase that we're about to make in our lives or the upcoming promotion or the graduation you know in the story of esther we're often drawn to her big moment as well you know the big moment when esther approached the king unsure what her future would hold and and her request was granted um, for those of you who maybe are just joining us for the first time or unfamiliar with the story of Esther, the story of Esther is in the Old Testament, and it tells this history of when the Jews were in exile under King Ahasuerus. 
And there's this young orphan um, girl named Esther who's being raised by her cousin Mordecai, who's going to be the focus of today's lesson. Um, Esther is beautiful and she's personable and she wins the favor of the king in this state-sponsored beauty pageant and eventually she is made queen. Trouble arises between her her cousin Mordecai and the king's right-hand man Haman and Haman uh, hatches this plan to not just get rid of Mordecai but to kill all of the Jews in all of the kingdom because he's so mad at Mordecai for refusing to bow down to him. Now, Esther is uh, unknown to be a Jew at the time, and so she approaches the king and risks it all when she does so, going against the laws of the land, and she goes in front of him, and he, he grants her the ability to speak, and she reveals who she is and where she came from, and in the process, steps in and saves her people. And it's that moment in the book of Esther that we're often drawn to, that big moment when Esther, Esther risked it all. And next week, we're going to spend some time looking at that and the application it has for our lives. But this week, I want to back off of that a little bit. And I want to walk up to the story from a different approach. I want to look at the ordinary things that happen in Esther that are used in powerful ways. So instead of starting with the Super Bowl, we're going to look at preseason practice. Okay? Instead of starting with the closing sale, those years of relationship building, or instead of the big purchase, we're going to look at all the years that were spent saving and planning, or the promotion, we're going to look at all the dedication and focus and daily showing up that happens. Instead of the graduation ceremony, we're going to look at the late nights of doing homework. <clears throat> I want to put up a slide from last week. Last week, we talked about the flats. This was in the context of miraculous happenings. So if you'll recall, I talked about how the little blips on this radar that I have up here represent these big moments in history when God has stepped in and worked in like powerful, miraculous ways. <clears throat> now, as we read through Scripture, we find that, that we're hitting all of these high points, and it's easy to miss the fact that the normal mode of operation of God in His creation is in the flats. And, and it's in these flats and these normal moments, in the, in the humdrum of everyday life, that God is still working, exercising His, his providential care in, in powerful ways. Well, I want to take this image now and, and shift it away a little bit from the biblical storyline and apply it some to our personal lives. Okay? So if you were looking at this slide and you're thinking, okay, what, what do the peaks in life, what are the peaks in life for me? What do those stand for? You would probably all have some answers. The big momentous occasions like a, a wedding or a, or a baptism or a promotion at work, a big win if you're part of a sports team or have a favorite sports team, or maybe the, the birth of a child. I want you for just a second to think with me what it would look like if you were walking this path. Maybe my brain works different than everyone, but instead of viewing it in two dimensions on a screen, I want you to swing it around and, and plant yourself in the middle of that line, and I want you to look ahead at the life ahead of you and ask yourself, what would it, what would it look like? What am I looking towards? And I think what you would see is ahead you would tend to be drawn to the peaks that are looming. Okay? And that's often how we live our lives. So if we're in school... We're there in the flats, and we're in the daily grind of, of studying and, and working, and, and honestly, sometimes it's quite difficult, but up ahead, we see in the distance this peak that's motivating us. One day, we're going to graduate, 
Okay? Or if you're maybe an athlete, <clears throat> it can be really difficult to wake up at 5 in the morning and go exercise, but you know that the big race or the, the big game is coming up, and so you use that as, as motivation to, to walk in the flats and to do those little things that you know you need to be doing each day because up ahead there is a peak to motivate you. A lot of our mothers, uh, we have a lot of, of women right now who are pregnant, okay? And you look past that growing belly in the moment, and, and you're looking ahead to what? <laughs> when the baby arrives, and you, can, and you can make it through those sleepless nights, and you're not sick in the morning, and your back doesn't ache, and there's not pains, and then you have the child, and what do you do? You look ahead to the next peak when you're not changing diapers anymore. And I mean, our whole lives, to be honest, are kind of lived looking ahead to the next big momentous thing that's coming up, the next marker, the next goal that we have. And we're always looking ahead. And, and while I would argue that there is nothing the matter with using the future as our motivation to do hard things in the here and now, we have to understand that hard work is often rewarded later. There's also a danger to this type of thinking, okay? There's a danger to always looking ahead. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever driven to Colorado and caught yourself hitting the little bumps on the side of the road? Not because you fell asleep. Well, I don't know. Maybe if we were driving in the middle of the night like we did a few times, James, we would, uh, might be from falling asleep. James never fell asleep. It was incredible. But, but for me, I find myself when I'm driving on a scenic route bumping into those little bumps and it's a reminder to stop looking at the mountains that are beautiful and the place where you're going and put your eyes on the road that's ahead of you. Okay? I've caught myself doing this when I'm walking or hiking in a place that's beautiful like you see the image on the screen. You know, you walk in one step at a time, and the terrain may be a little bit difficult to navigate, but then you look up in the distance, and what do you see? Some beautiful trees, or a lake, or the mountains. And so as you're walking, you're looking ahead, and, and you're looking to that, and, and what's the first thing that you do? You step off the trail, or you trip, and you stumble. It's wonderful to look ahead, and it's wonderful to see the things that are coming up, but today's lesson is designed to encourage you to pause and pay attention to the ordinary moments that are right in front of you. It's about shifting our focus from the mountains ahead to the trail below and asking ourselves what it looks like. Not, it's not meant to say that you shouldn't be anticipating or excited about what is to come in the mountains ahead, but to point out that God takes you to those mountains using the trail ahead of you. And walking on that trail... Walking on that path is the way that he has ordained for you to get there. I want to look at the story of Esther and specifically at the character of Mordecai this morning. And I want to examine the trail that was below him. Well, I certainly think we could find more than three examples of faithfulness in small things. I want to look here at these three things and point them out and see how he faithfully navigated these simple everyday decisions that were below him. I want to start by reading Esther chapter 2, verse 7. In verse 6, we get introduced to Mordecai for the first time. We're told that he's a Jew, that he's there because he's in exile. And in verse 7, we read that he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Then we skip down to verses 10 and 11. We read, Esther had not made known her people or kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. 
And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. I want to talk for just a second about what we see in these short, simple set of verses at the beginning. I look and I see a man who was willing to take in a distant relative and treat her as if it was his biological child. You know, we don't know much about Mordecai. We don't know if he was old or if he was young. We don't know if he had children or if this was the first time he had done this. There's a lot of information we don't know. All we know is that there was this young orphan girl and he agreed to take her in. We read about a man who didn't just take in this orphan, but a man who managed his household well in a way that garnered respect and obedience from his children. I mean, Esther, even when she's in the king court, is still following the guidance laid out by Mordecai. And finally, we see a man who was not looking to check a box. A man who was not just looking to raise the orphan and do his duty and move on, but one who genuinely felt a fatherly connection. In verse 11, we see Mordecai made it a daily habit to check in on her. I look at this text and I see a man who was faithful at home. A man who navigated personal relationships and responsibilities in a way that cared for others like we are called to. You know, this was a time of exile. Esther was beautiful. I'm going to guess it would have been pretty easy to rid his plate of this responsibility. There would have been a lot of demand during this time and this culture and place for a young and beautiful female. But instead, we see when no one is looking... Mordecai steps in and faithfully takes care of another human being. He upholds her dignity and he provides a place of safety and a place of security. Mordecai steps in and gives her a father. He's faithful at home. Now by the end of chapter 2, where our next set of verses come from, Esther has been made queen. You know, we don't exactly know what Mordecai's job was. But many think that his constant presence at the temple or at the king's gates indicates that he was given some sort of a job there. In fact, it's mentioned five different times in the book of Esther that he was at the king's gates. Often judgments were made at the gate, so it's likely that Esther appointed him as some type of a judge when she was made queen. We don't know that. I'm reading between the lines and it may not be true. But I think the point is still valid regardless of why he was there. I want to read the text, Esther 2, 19 through 23. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, one more slide and we'll be caught up. Now, when the virgins were gathered together the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai, and he told it to Queen Esther, and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows, and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, this would seem like a minor and an insignificant event, but if you know the rest of the story of Esther, you, you know that it comes into play in a powerful way later on in the story. But here's the deal. Mordecai did not know that in the moment. He just saw something, and he felt like it was important that he said something. 
You know, I think about all the options that were at his disposal. He could have easily been drawn into this plan and and taken things into his own hands. After all, they were uh, uh, people living in exile. He could have easily...